You are listening to Monday Madness Sports Talk with your host, Noah Festenstein. Right here on Radio DePaul Sports, the student voice of your DePaul Blue Demons. Broadcasting live from our new state-of-the-art studio in downtown Chicago, it's Radio DePaul Sports, the student voice of your DePaul Blue Demons. Live from One East Jackson, Chicago, Illinois, my name is Noah Festenstein, your host of Monday Matter Sports Talk, right here on Radio DePaul Sports the student voice of your DePaul Blue Demons. Let's get it going. It is episode 149 right here, all the way from Harper College Radio to Radio DePaul Sports. Once again, my name is Noah Festenstein, host of Monday Matter Sports Talk, all the way up until 12.30 here today, right on the streamwaves of RadioDePaulSports.com and download the Radio DePaul app on your smartphone today. Woo. Alrighty. Let's get it going. I hope all had a great weekend, and uh, and I'm happy to start you guys off with the week with some good good old sports talk. I'm going to start off the show today on a very unusual note, not like I usually start the show off. Usually it's with baseball, uh, but today I'm going to start off with some Premier League. I uh, saw some good matches in the past week. Also want to kind of give an update on the Premier League standings as well for that. I'm going to follow that up with a new segment I'm doing. It's called um, Wish Upon a Star. So at 11:11, I want you guys to share a wish with me. So we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do that, and then we'll explain more when it hits 11:11. But at 11:15, I'm gonna do UFC and MMA. We saw a fight night on Saturday, and a, or I'm sorry, Friday night. Friday night. I'm always used to saying Saturday, but it was on Friday night. Um, we saw a fight night there, and then I'm also gonna talk some um, basketball, NHL, and NFL. Uh, in a span of 15 minutes with the whip segment starting at 11.30, and then I'll go up to 11.45, and then from 11.45 to 12.30, it's going to be all baseball. So twelve, uh, I would say 11.45 to about 12 o'clock would be just normal. Uh, hey, I'm going to make my World Series prediction. I'm going to talk about maybe the ALCS and NLCS, and then I'm going to get into my top 10 list for today, which I kind of hinted at last week, but this week it's going to be top 10 World Series moments. I got uh, audio all queued up and a top 10 list for that. But for now, I'm going to send you guys back to break. And when I come back, it's some Premier League right here on Radio DePaul Sports. Just in voice of your DePaul Blue Demons. Hey, it's Dibs, your favorite demon in a blue suit. You're listening to Radio DePaul Sports. The student voice of the Paul Blue Demon. Campbell to Stonewall. Stonewall driving to the rim, goes up, gets it to fall, and one. Oh, Max Drews brings down the house. Radio to Paul Sports. Your home for Blue Demon basketball. Terminate releases James. Rashford making a run towards the back post, and he scores. He went near post, then he cut to the far post. Rashford finishes brilliantly for Manchester United.
Those were the sounds from Old Trafford yesterday, or at least you may say last night in England, or yesterday morning in the States. It was a later uh, start for that one, but um, who doesn't love a good old rivalry between Liverpool and Manchester United? Um, I, my, my, my favorite Premier League rivalry is Man City and Manchester United, or Chelsea, Manchester United, or Chelsea, Liverpool. Chelsea, Liverpool is always fun. Um, but we're... Uh, reached a point really in the Premier League right now in England I would say the best football league in all of the world in my opinion in my humble opinion I know a lot of people have other opinions and what best league they have but Premier League is where it's at because uh, they really really get uh, rough and rowdy uh, up in the Premier League in England uh, and I haven't covered it yet this season about nine eight or nine games have been played uh, due to the respective teams I think the only team that has yet to play nine games in the entire league is that of Arsenal and Sheffield United. That's it. That those are the only two teams that have only played eight games. The rest of the teams have played nine games. And when uh, the first ten games of the season really, really represents what we might see uh, when the uh, like what what the whole uh, the competitive nature of what the entire season is going to look like. I don't really know how to great a great way to say it, but. Um, like, you can kind of see the teams right now, who's going to be in total control, total demand um, as the season progresses. And obviously the one team um, is that of Liverpool, who got their first uh, draw yesterday after winning eight straight to start the season in Premier League action. Um, Liverpool has been dominating all over the place. Uh, they have 21 goals for seven goals against the 14-goal differential. Um, not better, though, than the second-place Manchester City, who has 20 goals in a differential. They got 29, 4, and 9 against, which is basically going to be their fierce rival in this uh, race for Premier League, um, I would say, crown. Like, this is going to be a great uh, season if these top five teams that I'm about to mention can really, really play up to standards. And that's, of course, Arsenal, Chelsea, Leicester City, Manchester City, and Liverpool. Uh, Leicester City is very impressive this season still. Um and I'm hoping that they can uh, stay in the fight uh, for this one because Leicester City is always a team that's kind of under the shadows as they were when they won in 2016 uh, for the first time in over hundreds of years. Um, and then we look at Chelsea, of course. Chelsea is always in the running. But then you go all the way down to number 13. Oh, boy, the number 13 spot, Manchester United. I I'm going to have to crap on my own team here uh, and say that this is kind of an embarrassment. Uh to start the season off, two wins, four draws, and three losses. Uh, and I'm going to have to admit, yesterday, the the match against Liverpool, as much as Liverpool seemed like they kind of dominated the entire game, that was one of the best games Manchester United played the entire season. And whenever, you, whenever a team goes into Old Trafford, where Manchester United plays, um, it's always a very tough environment. I mean, as any environment is in all of the Premier League, um, it's always loud. I mean, soccer is a loud sport. Um, but Old Trafford is something different. There's there's a certain vibe that goes around Old Trafford that makes it tough for any um, opposing team to play in Old Trafford. And I think that the problem with Manchester United right now, at least this season, so to speak, is um, they don't really have the chemistry built. They haven't played a lot together. A lot of the a lot of the guys have played international ball. Um, they haven't practiced a lot with each other. They got a lot of uh, different recruits that haven't, you know, played up 
in the you know in the premiership really much at at, at all. Um, I think the one big key to Manchester United's success is that of Marcus Rashford, which I just played for you guys. Um, and that's he's been playing with this team for a very long time. Not a very long time. It wasn't like Wayne Rooney like time when he spends all that those years at the United. Um, but Rashford's really the veteran on this team. If you think if you think about it, considering uh, he's basically, I mean, he's young. Still, he's young. He's only been on the team since like for like four or five years. So I think that with all this being said about what's going on so far in the Premier League, as I look at the tables right now, um, as I'm going to conclude this segment, because there's not much else to say other than we got to like make, we got to pay attention to how the top five plays, because that's going to be a massive influence. (laughs) Excuse me. I'm recovering from a cold, so it might be a little hard to talk consistently, but I'm trying my best. Um, the top five is going to be the biggest influencers in the league, considering their play is going to dictate uh, who can actually come into the running. You got in sixth place, Crystal Palace, who's four, two, and three. They can explore at any moment. Tottenham Hotspur, they can as well. They're in seventh. Then you got Burnley FC, Bournemouth, West Ham, Aston Villa, and then I don't know who the Wolves are. I, I think they just, I don't know who they are. Um, but then number 13 is Manchester United, and also just as surprisingly, 14th place is Everton, which is, excuse me, pretty interesting. Um, so my prediction for Premier League um, this year, I think Liverpool, uh, they have already proved so much domination. Uh, I'm proud that Manchester United was the one team that was able to, to, to not lose to Liverpool this season thus far, but... Liverpool is going to win this this season. I, I I just have that innate feeling. Manchester City is going to give them a run for their money, um, but all all said and done, it's going to be a very good rest of the Premier League. And I'm going to give more mention to it uh, as time goes on. But uh, we got a lot of other important matters to cover on this radio show. At is eleven eleven. Let's make a wish, folks. So wish with me. Eleven eleven. Give you a couple seconds of dead silence so you guys can make your wish, and I'm going to make my wish on air. Alrighty. I hope you guys all made your wish. Well, it's 11-11. It's a very special moment uh, because uh, you always got to wish for the best, you may say, right? Well, I wish for a Bears win. So, so Bears win. Can like They can at least pass more than 50 yards in a game. That's what I wish for. But I'll have that more. I'll have that discussion later um, on the show as I reach the whip segment at eleven thirty. Um, I also wish for a uh, a Blackhawks comeback, um, and I also wish that tonight in my first basketball fantasy draft that it'll actually I won't embarrass myself. So those are my three wishes. I'm not going to embarrass myself in this fantasy draft. Bears need to score more, and the Hawks need to win. The Blackhawks need a win. All of this will be discussed later on. So stay tuned for that. I'm going to take you guys to break so I can calm down my voice. I might take more elongated breaks today considering I am recovering from this cold. Uh, if you guys remember back in uh, March uh, when I had bronchitis, this was like the end of winter quarter. Um, I had this bronchitis. This whole thing went down and I was like dead for like, and this is when I was commuting. I had to commute to Arlington Heights. I had to like, take an hour and a half train ride 
And I did this one show, and I'm probably going to post it as a throwback at a point. Um, I had this one show that I did for an hour alone, and I was on bronchitis. So I didn't realize that at the moment because the next day, that, um, that Tuesday, after that Monday, I had a doctor's appointment, and I had to skip class for that doctor's appointment, and that's when I was uh, diagnosed, if you may say, with a mild form of bronchitis. So I have run shows in worse conditions before, but today... Um, hopefully my voice will, uh, last for, uh, another hour and 20 minutes. So, uh, we'll see. Let's, let's see. I'm excited. I hope you are too. We got UFC MMA up next. We saw a fight night on Friday night, and I can't wait to talk about it with you guys right here on Radio DePaul Sports. It's in voice of your DePaul Blue Demons. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. I'm a champion, real Shaq's mechanism. Crash killing off a rat. It's not your normal PSA. Don't be stupid. Don't drink and drive. If you're going to go out and have a good time, it's fine. But designate a driver to drive home. Let's stop the madness. Don't drink and drive. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. When I was little, I didn't talk for a long time. I was sensitive to lights and sounds, so I built secret hiding places where they couldn't get in. Sometimes I do the same things over and over, until one day I found out I had autism. My family got me help. Slowly, I learned how to live with it better. Early intervention can make a lifetime of difference. Learn the signs at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Broadcasting live from our new state-of-the-art studio in downtown Chicago, it's Radio DePaul Sports, the student voice of your DePaul Blue Demons. Welcome back. Monday Man of Sports Talk. Right here at Radio DePaul Sports, the student voice of your DePaul Blue Demons. My name is Noah Festenstein, taking you on until 12.30 right here at RadioDePaulSports.com and the Radio DePaul app. That was okay with cool, because it's cool, because uh, I'll be playing that later on this week on Noah and Night, Thursdays on the Radio DePaul stream. Check me out, radio.depaul.edu, Chicago's College Connection, um, Thursday nights from 11 to midnight with some EDM music and talk. So uh, kind of digressing at the end of the school week, if you may say. I'm having a uh, Noah and Night episode on Halloween, so let's see if uh, I'll do something thematic for that one. 
Once again, you're listening to Monday Madness Sports Talk right here on Radio DePaul Sports, the student voice of your DePaul Blue Demons, and I am going to be talking some UFC for the next 15 minutes because I have some things to say about what happened on Friday night. Um, I went back to the suburbs to, to watch it with my good friend Carlos, the liquid Terminator Rodriguez, who's a regular on this show. You guys may have heard his voice before. I, I watch UFC with him as much as possible uh, because him and I get into it. And so did we at um, Buffalo Wild Wings and um, Mount Prospect, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, on Friday night. So that was a lot of fun, and it felt like a uh, an event that was uh, a pay per view event. Like there's some pay per view events where I'm like, eh, it's not, it's not a pay per view event. But this felt like a pay per view event. Not just because I watched it at Buffalo Wild Wing, which is which is usually where I watch the pay per view events for free, um, but I always kind of like judge events whether or not can I should I have had paid for this kind of thing. I don't know. It's a weird way to judge an event, but this event was that good. This event on Friday night, UFC on ESPN, was a great event. Um, it featured basically two main event fights that one of them didn't obviously occur, and I've already talked about it on the show a couple weeks ago, was the Yair Rodriguez and Jeremy Stevens fight that ended up being an eye poke to Jeremy Stevens. Jeremy Stevens, a couple weeks ago, or at least it was like almost a month ago at least, um, Jeremy Stevens and Yair Rodriguez was to fight uh, in the main event in Mexico City, a five-round fight. Um, but then that ended up being um, really very short, considering in the first 15 seconds, Yair Rodriguez accidentally poked Jeremy Stevens in the eye, uh, which is obviously in any situation not ideal, and he could not open the eye, which means you can't continue and obviously in the main event uh, fight, when that happens, the fans are not going to be happy. They came to see this this massive fight between Yair Rodriguez and Jeremy Stevens, which is a fantastic fight. Um, and fans are not happy. They were throwing stuff on the octagon. And now Dana White was able to reschedule the fight uh, for ESPN 6 of UFC. That was on Friday in Boston at the TD Garden where the Boston Burns play and the Boston Celtics, um, and it was a good fight. So um, that, I consider, it was the fight of the night. A lot of punches were exchanged. Um, it was just act, uh, nonstop action for three rounds. I mean, Yair Rodriguez was throwing down 136 strikes, which is a lot of strikes considering it is a three-round fight. That's like, what, over 40 strikes in a round, which is pretty good. Um, Jeremy Stevens was able to land 99, uh, but it all went all three rounds and uh, back and forth-ish. Uh, Jeremy Stevens was able to wrestle a little bit. Yair Rodriguez was able to also uh, respond with his own wrestling style. And the wrestling did make a difference in this match because Yair Rodriguez was able to kind of overturn Jeremy Stevens via octagon control. And that's what judges look for um, when, they, when they look at... Um, a fight when they judge a fight, it's octagon control that really makes the the difference in whether or not a fighter can win a fight. Um, I might go back to this fight in a couple seconds, but I want to talk about what really, really, really is controversial. Um, was this heavyweight bout? It was basically the the third to last fight. So the top three fights was um, the main event, which I have yet to mention. It was Damek Reyes versus Chris Weidman. And then, of course, what I just mentioned, Yair Rodriguez and Jeremy Stevens. But the fight before that was heavyweight Greg Hardy, who is a former offensive line pro bowler, 
against Ben Sosoli. Um, and let's talk about the fight in general. Um, Greg Hardy was able to land a lot of strikes. He, he was kind of wrestling a lot, but he only landed 50% of his strikes, where he's the 26.8% for Ben Sosoli, and that was the X factor in that fight was a strike count percentage uh, between the two. But that's not really what the controversy was. Uh, in between the second and third rounds, Greg Hardy and his uh, corner between rounds, um, Greg Hardy questioned whether or not he can use an inhaler. An inhaler for his, uh, I don't know, if supposed asthma, if I'm correct. I'm not sure. Um, but apparently Greg Hardy used an inhaler for qu- one second. I-, I watched the video, too. There's a video of it happening. He only sucked in the inhaler for like less than a second and then went back to fighting. But to me and to a lot of other UFC fans, they're going to consider that uh, unfair. Really, I mean, a fighter using an inhaler to catch his breath quickly, you got to be trained to do that naturally. That's really the point of fighting and conditioning is to naturally catch your breath and do that. But what's interesting about this Greg Hardy situation, who I was rooting for in the fight, he won the fight, but then uh, an hour later, right after the main event happened, um, Dana White said, this this match is now overturned to a no contest. Nobody won. Ben Sassoli didn't win. If uh, Greg Hardy was formally cheating and like he like knowably was, hey, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to do this at my corner. Ben Sassoli would have won. But this um, this match was actually a no contest considering Greg Hardy didn't know that he was not allowed to use an inhaler. In quote, Greg Hardy said, at least his team said, um, that they didn't know the rules. How do you not know the rules? That's kind of common sense, considering it's not natural for one to use an inhaler between matches. If you have to use an inhaler in the UFC, I don't know. I, I just don't I mean, conditioning is one thing. But using an inhaler during a match... I don't know what you're thinking. I mean, that's common sense. I just don't think that that's the best excuse. I didn't know the rules. If he would have inhaled his inhaler for more than one second or two seconds, I think this would have been a whole different story. But he only used it for less than a second. So with this being a no contest, I understand. But Greg Hardy, I think enough, does. I think deservedly, doesn't get this win. Greg, I mean... I don't blame Hardy. I, I think he's a great fighter. I think he he's 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 got good intentions as well. Um, but he just didn't know apparently. And I, I, I think and and I'm gonna be quite honest with you, I think stupidity doesn't deserve a win. It just doesn't. It may 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 not constitute a loss, but I don't think a win is deserved for Greg Hardy in this one, considering he used an inhaler. So I think that was the very proper choice on behalf of Dana White. He took matters into his own hands. And Dana White even said pretty calmly uh, uh, to the media that he didn't know. He just didn't know the rule. And it's a very vague rule. This uh, whole inhaler thing, this whole uh, utilizing substances in the corner, so, so to speak, is a separate rule of his own. Um, and it would just... The problem that I have with this this whole situation between Greg Hardy and Ben Sassoli is, is that there wasn't a lot of talk in the corner about the situation. They didn't even hesitate saying, oh, is this a rule? Can we? Greg Hardy did say, can, can I do this? Can I will say, you only get 30 seconds. You only get 30 seconds in the corner to talk through what you got to do. And in that 30 seconds, every second counts. 
because your trainer is telling you, oh, you got to do this now in the octagon. You got to, you know, have more, you got to get more boxing action, whatever. But this is what makes me a little bit uneasy about the situation is the amount of time that he just didn't hesitate using it. And the fact that they even brought, like, like, not even that they they brought the inhaler onto the on, onto the octagon. Maybe it was for I I would assume that's for emergency reasons. <coughs> Excuse me, <clears throat> I'm I'm assuming that this is emergency reasons that they brought the inhaler onto the octagon because if Greg Hardy cannot breathe, I mean you got really no choice but to use it. But Greg Hardy seemed like he was breathing fine. I mean yes. As a heavyweight, I understand that conditioning is not easy, but come on. Common sense. All right. Um, we got five minutes left in the UFC. I want to talk about this main event, and I want to look forward to what's coming up. Uh, Dominic Reyes and Chris Weidman. I don't know why he went to light heavyweight and was like, oh, I'm going to compete and maybe, maybe even fight John Jones. John Jones even said on Twitter after the fight, the current light heavyweight champion, and of course the number one pound for pound rank in the world, John Jones. Yes, that is John Jones. Said on Twitter, if you're gonna come up to my division, don't talk smack. Get through my opponents first. And of course, Chris Wyman couldn't even make it through two minutes in the octagon against Dominic Reyes. Dominic Reyes has the best, one of the best left hand swings in all of the UFC. Dominic Reyes was able to throw it at a perfect time. Catch Chris Weidman um, really on his toes, if you may say, and Dominic Reyes won. And now Dominic Reyes is 12-0-0, and uh, I'm assuming that he's going to get some high-leverage talk about him getting another big, big fight in the light heavyweight division. Could be against the guy, um, I don't know. I was going to say Alexander Gustafson, but I remember that he, uh, he just, like, I don't even know his situation. He says that he's uh, done fighting. I don't know if he's done fighting. He's, he dropped the gloves in the octagon the last time he lost, and that was against uh, Smith, if I'm correct. Yeah, it was against Lionheart Smith that he lost to, and he was like about to uh, um, retire, which I think he still is going to retire. But, I mean, looking at the light heavyweight rankings, uh, I'm looking at Dominic Reyes. He's number four. He could fight Anthony Smith next, and the winner of that, could go and fight light heavyweight champion John Jones. I really think Dominic Reyes is that next guy. I think he could. Corey Anderson is also a great, great um, example of that, that he could um, make a statement in that light heavyweight division. But right now it's all in favor of John Jones. So we'll see what um, Dominic Reyes has next. Um, and then in 244, which is coming up soon, you got Johnny Walker fighting in that one. He's top 10. Uh, so we'll see how what happens with that. I'm rooting for Johnny Walker to even make a statement there, um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, so that was the main event. Dominic Reyes killing Chris Weidman, not literally, but uh, figuratively in the octagon. He was able to knock him out in at the minute 43rd sec- um, time of minute 43. Um, okay, Saturday night. We got a main event between Ben Askren and Damian Maya. Um, Ben Askren has to recover from his past loss, which was against Jorge Masvidal, which was the fastest knockout in UFC history, which was five seconds. Uh, Damian Maya is a grappling guru alongside Ben Askren. He's got his own wrestling gym, Ben Askren does. 
Um, he's got his own podcast too, which I listen to. Um, and Ben Askren also he he um, he's a good smack talker too. But I haven't seen him do a lot of it now because I think he's uh, very focused on um, matching up the grappling technique and wrestling of Damian White Maya. This is my favorite match because uh, I'm a wrestling guy. I love wrestling. I think wrestling is the best part of UFC. And this is going to be a wrestling fest between Damian Maya and Ben Askren. So I'm looking forward to that on Saturday night. This is at Singapore Indoor Stadium. It'll be on ESPN+. Plus. Um, the light heavyweight co-main event will be Michael Johnson and Stevie Ray. Both guys aren't ranked. So I don't think that has light, um, lightweight implications, it seems like. Um, but the main big fight is Demi and Maya and Ben Askren uh, at welterweight on Saturday. And then, of course, in two weeks, which I'm so excited for, and I'll be talking about it next week, is UFC 244. There's no... I don't remember the last time a pay-per-view event didn't have a championship fight, but this this card is stacked. Let me tell you, stacked. Like, I, every single fight on this card is something to look forward to. No kidding. I am so excited. And even one fight in the preliminary, preliminary card, Johnny Walker against Corey Anderson at light heavyweight has much implication to it. That fight could actually... The winner of that fight maybe could fight Reyes in the next fight. Who knows? That's why it's got good implications. A prelim fight having massive um, implications in rankings. You don't see that every day. And that's Johnny Walker and Corey Anderson at light heavyweight. And then you got a main card that has five fights that are massive fights implication-wise. At lightweight, you got Kevin Lee against Gregor Gillespie. And then that starts it off. And then heavyweight is Derek Lewis against Blagoy Ivanov. And then welterweight, you got Stephen Thompson versus Vicente Luque. And then the middleweight co-main event, Kevin, Calvin Gastelum against Darren Till. Calvin Gastelum against Darren Till. And then, of course, the welterweight main event is Jorge Masvidal against Nate Diaz for the BMF belt, otherwise known as the baddest mother bleep. You know, you know what that bleep is for. Um... So the BMF belt is up for grabs on November 2nd at Madison Square Garden in New York. Oh, I'm looking forward to that one a lot. So that's UFC 244. It's 11.30, which means I am past the time that I really should. Uh, I will do a brief whip segment. Let's see it. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Where is it? There it is. The whip segment's coming up right here on Radio DePaul Sports, Monday Madison Sports Talk. Noah Festus seen speaking to you. Be back in a bit. Stay tuned. Hey, it's Dibs, your favorite demon in a blue suit. You're listening to Radio DePaul Sports, the student voice of your DePaul blue demon. Campbell to Stonewall. Stonewall driving to the rim, goes up, gets it to fail, and one. Oh, and Max Drews brings down the house. Radio DePaul Sports, your home for blue demon basketball. Dad, this is fun. I didn't think I'd like kayaking. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, but I think it's time to head back in. Okay. Can we come back? Sure. Hey, be careful getting out of the boat. It's a kayak, Dad. <laughs> I'm going to return the kayak. Can we walk home? How about a taxi? It's a short fare from your neighborhood to your naturehood. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a neighborhood park or green space near you. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the U.S. Forest Service. 
I'm a champion. Realize Shaq's mechanism. Nah, yeah, 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 don't drink and drive. If you're gonna go out and have a good time, it's fine. But designate a driver to drive home. Let's stop the madness. Don't drink and drive. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. From oh! Broadcasting live from our new state-of-the-art studio in downtown Chicago, it's Radio DePaul Sports. The student voice of your DePaul Blue Demons. Ooh, you got some pie, huh? Can I have a piece? Uh, sure. Ooh, let me have some of that Cool Whip. What'd you say? You can't have a pie without Cool Whip. Cool Whip? Cool Whip, yeah. You mean Cool Whip? Yeah, Cool Whip. Cool Whip. Cool Whip. Cool Whip. Cool Whip. You're saying it weird. Why are you putting so much emphasis on the H? What are you talking about? I'm just saying it. Cool Whip. You put Cool Whip on pie. Pie tastes better with Cool Whip. Say Whip. Whip. Now say Cool Whip. Cool Whip. Cool whip. Cool whip. Cool whip. Cool whip. You're eating hair. It is time for the whip segment right here on Monday Mana Sports Talk. Radio DePaul Sports, the student voice of your DePaul Blue Demons. This is Noah Festesian. This is the segment where I take three topics and squish them into 15 minutes and talk about it quick. And the topics regard all three, or not all three, three of the four main sports in the United States, that of football, hockey, and basketball. Get to it right now with the first topic, and that will start off with that bearish. Alrighty, so yesterday we saw a match at Soldier Field between the Chicago Bears and New Orleans Saints, who was Kamara Liss, if you may say, and still was able to prevail 36-24, to I believe was the final score. I did not watch this game yesterday as I was busy doing homework and such, and uh, when it came down to it... Um, the Bears are 36-25. I was a point off. Point off. Come on, give me a break. Um, what it came down to, though, was um, Mitchell Trubisky not doing anything off of the injured list. Very cold. 34 for 54 um, passing in attempts. He still got 250 passing yards, two touchdowns. Um, but then you look at the rushing game, uh, 10 yards for Tariq Cohen on three carries. And David Montgomery, six yards. But the problem, the problem with this is... Um, was just the lack of offense that produced more offense for the Saints. That, it, 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 that's the play calling. It really is going, coming down to the play calling on behalf of Matt Nagy. And Matt Nagy said, I think he hinted it in his post-game press conference, that, um, he, he, I don't know if he trusts himself with the play calling. Um, and that's really aggravating to know when, you're the head coach. You gotta be the guy. You gotta be the frontliner to these play calls. Um, you gotta, you gotta know what you want to do with your team. You know the team best. You gotta be the guy to make those play calls. And uh, um, to me, that just doesn't represent the the coach of the year that was last year for the Chicago Bears and Matt Nagy. Yes, he's still a fantastic coach. I'm not denouncing him in any way. I'm just saying that he's supposed to be that guy to make those play calls when they need it most. And the Bears just didn't have it yesterday, apparently, at home. Um, and uh, that's that. I got crushed in my fantasy football um, because uh, – shout-out to you, my, my friend Cameron. Cameron, shout-out to you. You crushed me this week because uh, um, apparently in the early stages of the game on Thursday uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Patrick Mahomes, not starting quarterback, got injured. 
And uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I do have Aaron Rodgers on one of my fantasy teams who went off for 46 points. His passer rating was 150, if I'm correct, which is insane. He had like 450 yards and stuff like that. Also, also, Saturday, we saw the biggest upset in college football, Illinois beating Wisconsin, final seconds of the game. The field goal kicker kicks the field goal down 23-21 and wins 24-23. to uh, the number six Wisconsin, undefeated Wisconsin, goes down to the two and four Illinois Illini- fighting Illini. I was at the game against Michigan the week before when Illinois almost made a comeback against Michigan, but I really wish I was at this game this week. Uh, shout out to former co-host Cesar Sanchez, um, who I shouted out last week, but he deserves a shout out this week because he made a, a bet um, on the Illinois football team winning, and he won a lot of money. I'm not going to say the exact value, but he he won a lot of money. Um, with the odds that were at stake. So, uh, yeah, shout out to you, Caesar, for that. That's a, that's really funny. Um, all right, let's go. Next, next, next segment. Watcha basketball. Alrighty, I'm gonna talk very briefly on basketball tonight's my first ever fantasy draft, and today is the start of the NBA basketball season. I will be attending um the first game for the the Bulls at home on Saturday against the uh reigning NBA champions, Toronto Raptors. Um, thank you to Alexa Sandler of the DePaulia. She got free tickets and she was like, yeah, I know Noah. I know it's like the only sports guy I know. And he, she invited me. So thank you, Alexa, for taking me to the Bulls game on Saturday. I'm very excited. Um, but yeah, so with this, with this season starting this week, uh, very exciting stuff as now tomorrow, uh, the season will be kick, uh, tipping off at seven o'clock in Toronto as the Toronto Raptors will be raising the banner against the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, Zion Williamson is out. He will not be playing. I think he's out with an injury, I think, for, like, less than three weeks. So that's a shame. Um, But that's okay. We'll see him eventually. Um, The L.A. Clippers and L.A. Lakers will be facing off in L.A. Wow, what a marquee matchup to start off the season. Uh, LeBron James against Kawhi Leonard against um, Paul George. Anthony Davis, you're going to see the duo play for the first time. Um, I'm excited. I'm really excited for that matchup tomorrow. That's at 930. Um, and then Wednesday, we, we got a slew of games going. Uh, the Chicago Bulls will make their um, for, uh, opening start against the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, that of the Charlotte Hornets that, yes, Michael Jordan owns. And shout out to Michael Jordan, who opened up uh, medical clinics in uh, North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina. I think what a human he is for doing that um, opening. And he's very emotional for doing it too. And uh, he's got to give props to good old Michael Jordan for opening up medical clinics like that with his own money. Um, that's just be- that's just a beautiful thing um, that you just don't see often. Um, so, yeah. So that's, that's, it's, that's that for Wednesday. And, of course, Bulls have another matchup on Friday. That's in Memphis against the Grizzlies. And then they come home on Saturday for their home opener against the Raptors at 7, which I will be in attendance for. So that'll be fun. Um, So, yeah. Awesome. Perfect. We're on time. All right. Next topic. NHL time as uh, the Blackhawks had a game yesterday and lost against the um, Washington Capitals. 5-3 Five to three was the score yesterday. Goal scorers consisted of um I don't know, screw the goal scores scores for the Capitals. 
Uh, I don't care about them. Um, at least for the Blackhawks, uh, Kajula got his first goal of the season. Patrick Kane got a goal, and then Dominic Kubelik got a goal. Uh, and then you also saw the, um, I think, the debut of Kirby Doc, who um, is the Blackhawks' number two pick from the draft this past offseason. Uh, I haven't heard much about how he played, um, but I'm very excited to see how he progresses in the league. Um, I think he was on the third or fourth line yesterday, but um, he's um, he's something to look out for. Kirby Doc, he's a very good player. He's very elusive. He's got all. He's got the entire package, and um, I'm looking forward to what he can do for the Blackhawks. Um, but yeah, that's that's the that's the the B Hawks for you yesterday. Uh, their next matchup will be against the Vegas Golden Knights at home. Um, that is tomorrow at 7.30. In the history of the Vegas Golden Knights franchise, the Chicago Blackhawks have not won a game against them. I repeat, the Blackhawks have not beaten the Golden Knights yet. They need to beat them. The Golden Knights are undefeated against the Blackhawks in like 4-0 or 5-0 or something like that. They need to beat them. They need to beat them. Uh, so that's an all-important game for the Blackhawks, especially if they want to come back in the standings. Um, all very important. That was Colby Marcio ringing the bell there. Thank you, Colby. I'm not going to answer the door. Um, so let's move with the other leaders in the standings, at least what the Blackhawks are chasing in the Western Conference Central Division. Um, the Blackhawks have currently played six games compared to other teams who have played like 10 games already, which is the Winnipeg Jets and Dallas Stars, Blackhawks have only played six games, which is the least amount of games out of everyone played in the Western Conference, and I think the entire league, if I'm correct. Uh, no, the Flyers and Rangers have also played six games, but I think that's also due to uh, them playing overseas for the first couple games. But the Blackhawks have not played a lot of games so far, so um, they have a lot of room to catch up, which is pretty good considering they are only... Uh, fifth in the Central Division, but that's by how many points? Five, yeah. So the Blackhawks only have five points. They're behind the Blues who have nine. Then the Predators have nine as well. And then the Jets have 10 points and the Avalanche have 15 points. The Avalanche, man, they're they're on fire. Seven and oh and one. Only one overtime loss and not, not a regular um, time loss there for the Avalanche who have played eight games. The average amount of games that teams have played this season um, looking at the Pacific Division, Oilers are up um, in front of the Ducks, Knights, and Flames. Oilers have 15 points compared to the Ducks having 12, Golden Knights having 12, and Flames having 11. Let's look at the Eastern Conference standings. The Buffalo Sabres are also hot. 7-1-1 one, one with 15 points in front of the Boston Bruins at 12 points. The Maple Leafs have 11 points with a 5-3-1 record. And then at fourth place in the Atlantic Division is the Montreal Canadiens at 10 points with a 4-3-2 Let's look at the Metropolitan Division. It is the Washington Capitals, the who just beat the Blackhawks yesterday, winning six games, losing two, and having two overtime losses for a total of 14 points. Then the, behind them is the Penguins at 12, the Hurricanes at 12, and then the Islanders at 10. Ah, already. That is hockey. And we have just finished the whip segments. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, that was football basketball and hockey in 15 minutes just like that i'm gonna take you guys to break when i come back it's all about baseball now from here on out the world series this is i've saved for i've saved the best for last what can i tell you so let's get to it 
This is Radio DePaul Sports, the student voice of your DePaul Blue Demons. My name is Noah Festesine. we got 45 more minutes left on the program. See you soon. Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch snuggling, ball chasing, face licking, and of course, companionship. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive, and now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, the happy dance will come in with this group. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. I'm a champion, realize Shaq's mechanism. Alright, Shaquille O'Neal for Rad. That's not your normal PSA. Don't be stupid. Don't drink and drive. If you're gonna go out and have a good time, it's fine. But designate a driver to drive home. Let's stop the madness. Don't drink and drive. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. I don't recycle. I mean, we can just find another planet for your kids to live on, you know? Noted non-recycler Tommy Crenshaw talks about the future. Oh, I can totally see finding another planet that can support life when ours fills up with trash. Log on to yougottobekidding.org and learn about all the ways you can recycle. Unless you're into lame excuses like Tommy's. Hey, recycling's just not my thing. Starting over on a new planet? Now that's exciting. Don't be that guy. Unless you want people looking at you funny. Log on to yougottobekidding.org. Hey, it's Dibs, your favorite demon in a blue suit. You're listening to Radio DePaul Sports, the student voice of your DePaul Blue Demon. Campbell to Stonewall. Stonewall driving to the rim, goes up, gets it to fall, and one. Oh, Max Drews brings down the house. Radio DePaul Sports, your home for Blue Demon basketball. And welcome back. This is Monday Man of Sports Talk. Radio DePaul Sports. This invoice of your DePaul Blue Demons on until 12.30. That was Running Wilds with Morgan Page. We playing that on Thursday with Noah at night on the Radio DePaul stream from 11 to midnight. But you are listening now from 11 to 12.30, Radio DePaul Sports, Monday Man of Sports Talk. And this, for the last 45 minutes, is going to be baseball. I'm going to spend about 10, 15 minutes or so talking about uh, the World Series of what we're about to see, maybe some ALCS action as well. Um, but we're going to also talk um, at 12 o'clock about my top 10 list for best ever World Series moments. I have a lot of moments prior to 2000, uh, a lot of 20th century moments to talk about later on, so I'm excited for it. But here are the sound. This is a... Uh, I want to start this off, um, not the music, of course. I forgot to pause it. There we go. But this is the uh, sounds from Game 6 of the Astros heading to the World Series. Um, here it is, Jose Altuve. Just to think that there is two walk-off home runs out of the three games that was played at Minute Maid Park is quite remarkable. 
to be quite honest with you. Um, and that also sparked for the first time since the 1910s that the Yankees have not won the pennant. So this is a new era of baseball where the Yankees just don't have dominance like they used to. I mean, ever since the 1910s, the Yankees were able to win a pennant at least once. But this decade, the 2010s to now 2020, Yankees did not win a pennant. And they had a couple chances to do so, but yet failed. And the, the Astros, once again, for the first time since 2017, have advanced to the World Series to face off against the Washington Nationals, who clinched uh, four days prior to. And that could very well be an X factor. Uh, looking at this series between the Nationals and um, excuse me, the, the, the Astros, is the elongated amount of rest that the Nationals have had gone through. Um, and also considering that um, the, uh, the Washington Nationals have so much momentum. They have so much to live for and play for. And for their city and their fans, they, they got so much on their back um, that they're ready to play in this World Series against anybody. And, of course, this anybody is going to be the uh, the best team in the American League, the Houston Astros, uh, which to me was not a surprise. I thought the Yankees was going was gonna to make the World Series, um, but that's okay because the Astros is a very good alternative. I think that they deserve to be in this spot, this opportunity. And what's nice about this World Series, at least to me, is that um, I have massive amounts of respect for both of these teams, uh, the Washington Nationals and Houston Astros. Uh, I, I have a lot of respect for both, and no matter who wins, I'm, I'm not going to be mad. I'm not going to be disappointed. And I think a big, big... Uh, reason to that is I know this is going to be a great series. Whether or not one team could be swept, one, whether or not one team is not going to play up to standards, um, this still is going to be a great series because you got two teams that don't have many World Series championships behind their back. Uh, combined between the two teams have one World Series, which is the Astros winning it in 2017. The Washington Nationals have never made it to the World Series, let alone make it to the World Series. So they have a lot, a lot to play for in this World Series, and um, it's just going to be one of those types of series that I think has a lot of potential to create very historical moments that I am, um, to the likings of what moments that I'm going to share from 12 to 1230, um, I'm really, really anticipating to see something very special in this World Series, whether or not it's the Washington Nationals winning or the Houston Astros winning something like how they won in the ALCS, um, just the intensity. Not only that, the pitching matchups. Look at the pitching matchups um, in this series. Um, you're going to have to look at both teams. They, they got three. I mean, look at the entire rotation. Um, it's insane. I'm looking at the. I'm, it's not showing me online, so I'm going to have to go to my at bat app to confirm uh, the, the, the pitching matchups. But look at the pitching matchups. They're, they're really insane. Um, for the Nationals, you got Strasburg, Serger, um, Anibal Sanchez, who's been hot, and a Patrick Corbin, who uh, can be hot at any time. And then, of course, with the Houston Astros, Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander. They, it's fantastic pitching matchups. Uh, tomorrow is going to be the start of the World Series, starting at seven oh eight between the Nationals and Astros at Minute Maid Park. 
Garrett Cole is to start off for the Nationals. The Nationals have yet to name their starter, um, which I'm going to assume it's going to be Max Scherzer, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's somebody like an Anibal Sanchez or even that Steven Strasburg. Um, and then Justin Verlander is to start for the Astros in Game 2, and then Game 3 is undecided for all. Um, but these pitching matchups are going to be absolutely off the charts for this one, and I'm really, really, really excited for it. Um, and I think that's going to be the highlight is that of the pitching this series. But um, yet again, you can't forget the immense amount of offensive production that these teams have provided this World Series. So um, that's what's going to make it interesting is because of the immense amount of offensive production, you're going to see maybe different um, styles of pitching from aces that we are familiar in seeing in that of like Max Scherzer. You might see him adjust accordingly. And uh, Steven Strasburg is one of the best at doing so. He's going to have to adjust against this explosive Houston lineup. Um, what's interesting, though, uh, with the Washington Nationals is that with this break, they didn't have a lot of time to prepare. It would have been easier for them to prepare accordingly to depending on what team that they're going to face. But they knew, regardless of between the Yankees and Astros, of who's going to win, um, they know that they're going to be in for a very tough matchup uh, considering both of those teams have massive offensive producers. Um, and that's just easy said. But this is just easy said than done because who knows what's going to happen. You're going to probably have one game that has like a one nothing, 2-1, whatever, very low-scoring game, and then you're going to have another game that's really high-scoring for one team or both teams. Um, it's just going to be like that for this entire series because once an off, a team gets hot offensively, it's going to be hard for them to stop. And that's just the natural way of baseball. Um, and it's just uh, the way it is. And it's exciting to kind of think about, too, because uh, um, no matter what game, no matter what pitching matchup, you don't know what to expect. I mean, as cliche as that sounds and uh, um, as obvious as that sounds, a lot of series, especially World Series, have, as we've seen in the past few, I mean, in the in this era of World Series, at least you may say, a lot of it was expected some somewhat, you know, you 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 expect that this team's gonna win because of this pitching matchup, or you expect that this team's gonna explode offensively. It's hard to predict what's gonna happen in this series. The Washington Nationals have are, have played so well in this playoffs, you don't know what they're capable of. Well, at least the extent of their capabilities. We know what they're capable of. We just don't know what the extent is yet. Because Washington Nationals beating the LA Dodgers, um, is. First of all, in the in the NLDS, then sweeping the the Cardinals, no hitting them in the first two games of the series, and then going back home and sweeping them is quite remarkable. And you just don't know what to expect from this Washington Nationals team. They're so good. They're just that good. And I'm just going to say the same thing about the the Houston Astros, they're just that good with the amount of offensive production that they produced um, in the ALCS and even ALDS and throughout the season. You know what the Astros can do. You know what the Washington Nationals can do. And putting those two thoughts together, it's quite scary of a World Series if you think about it. Honestly, this is a lot of honesty. Out of many people who do not get perfect brackets, I think there's like, what, five perfect brackets out there or something like that for the World Series? It's not hard. It's not like it's March Madness where you everyone does their brackets and it's almost impossible to get a perfect bracket. But uh, it says a lot when only five people have, like, 
perfect brackets in this entire baseball playoffs because it's been unexpected. I, I think that the American League side was more expected than the National League side. Of course, the Nationals making it out of the National League. Um, there, There's a lot of um, kind of, I, I would say, skepticism going into this series. What's going to happen? You know, it can go either way. One team can sweep. One other team can sweep. Um, it's going to be interesting. I'm also very interesting, interested to see what it's like for a World Series matchup in D.C. There's never been a World Series in the, in the nation's capital. So that'll be another very interesting thing to see. Um, you, know, you saw the Nationals make it through uh, the NLDS and uh, NLCS the first time you saw the NLCS take place in D.C., they were crazy in the NLCS. Just imagine what it's going to be like in the World Series. It's going to be insane. Um, and it's, it's going to be a classical matchup. This is ne- this matchup has never happened in the World Series. Um, and like I said before, this is combined one World Series win uh, apiece and one World Series. Um, I think the Astros have won three pennants, exactly, including this one. So a combined three times that both of these teams have been in the World Series is the Nationals' first time. So, um, yeah, that's that for thus. Um, but we're going to see a lot of magic. We're going to see a lot of World Series magic, and I'm a firm believer of that. And because of such, I have created a list of all of my personal top 10 magical moments of World Series history that I'm going to present after the break. Very excited for it. I got a top 10 list coming up, top 10 World Series moments. When I come back, on until 12.30 right here, Radio DePaul Sports. This invoice. I'm here to Paul Blue Demons. You're listening to Money Matters Sports Talk with your host, Noah Festestine. Back in a couple. Stay tuned. Biking in Chicago is more than just a mode of transportation. It's a lifestyle. It's convenient, affordable, and with 13,000 bike racks, parking is never a problem. But with every reward comes a sidecar of risk. In Chicago, over 1,700 cyclists a year are killed or injured in bike accidents involving motor vehicles. Bike safety is simple. First, become familiar with Chicago bike laws. Know your hand signals and when to use them. Love your brain. Get a bike helmet that fits your noggin. And deck it out with a headlamp and some reflective gear for riding at night. Bike at least three to four feet away from parked cars to avoid being struck by a car door being opened. Motorists can do their part, too, by checking their side view mirrors for bike traffic before exiting their vehicle. Most importantly, remember that we're sharing the road. Looking out for both ourselves and each other is the only way to keep Chicago's roads safe, no matter what your wheels look like. For more information on bike safety in Chicago, visit www.chicagobikes.org. This public service announcement was brought to you by Radio DePaul, Chicago's college connection. Mexter's curling right side, drills a jumper. See what Struce does. He looks like he wants to shoot. I was kind of hoping he would pull up there. And one. Floater was wet. Struce is loose. Curl three. three. Bang. You know it. My goodness. Struce on the other end gets it to fall and one. Now off top, he's got a double team. Now it's just Figueroa on him. Nice oh, move. Quick move. Wow. Out of oh, control. my goodness. Wow, he was out of control. Max he finished Struce. off glass. That is a new career high for Max Struess. He had 34 earlier this year. He's got 35 now. You're listening to Radio DePaul Sports, the student voice of your DePaul Blue Demons. Hey, it's Dibs, your favorite demon in a blue suit. You're listening to Radio DePaul Sports, the student voice of your DePaul Blue Demon. Campbell to Stonewall. Stonewall driving to the rim, goes up, gets it to fall, and one. 
Oh. And Max Drews brings down the house. Radio DePaul Sports. You're home for Blue Demon basketball. You are listening to Monday Madness Sports Talk. Every Monday from 11 to 1230. Right here on RadioDePaulSports.com. And the Radio DePaul app. And welcome back. Monday Madness Sports Talk. Radio DePaul Sports, the student voice of your DePaul Blue Demons on until 1230. As we have just reached the overtime hours of Monday Madness Sports Talk. Which constitutes a top 10 list. You know it. And as advertised, this is the top 10 best World Series moments of all time, according to Noah Festenstein. Let's get to it. All right, I got audio for nine out of the 10, though, because one out of the 10 will start off my 10, li- uh, will start off my list at 10 with the one that's actually I don't have audio for, which is interesting. But I got um, at number 10, which, of course, to my bias self, um, is on my 10 list because I don't want to... It could easily be on someone's list number one. But this is my number 10. This is Babe, Babe Ruth's called shot in the 1932 World Series Game 3. Babe Ruth called a shot against the Chicago Cubs, who was in the World Series in 1932 as the Yankees were able to win the World Series um, and beat the Chicago Cubs. And the reason why it's 10 is because they beat the Chicago Cubs. So that's number 10 for me was that of Babe Ruth's called shot. See, there was audio for it, but um, it wasn't audio on behalf of MLB, which is all audio, which is presented in this broadcast, in this segment, in all segments, will be presented by MLB. Uh, the audio was a documentary that I found. If you want to hear the audio or look it up, uh, just look up Babe Ruth's called shot, 1932 World Series Game 3. You just, just look up Babe Ruth's called shot, you'll find it. Um, it was in a documentary, and Babe Ruth was doing a voiceover about what it was like um, calling that shot. All right, though, here is my number nine. I got a couple cliches in number nine and eight. They're both World Series walk-offs, uh, series wins for walk-offs. So as we saw in the ALCS this past week with uh, Jose Altuve walking off the ALCS, imagine doing a walk-off, single, base hit, home run, whatever, um, in the World Series. is insane. So this is 1991. This is uh, Larkin's single. It was um, Dan Gladden scored the winning goal, um, not winning goal, winning run in the bottom of the eighth, and then Gene Larkin came up to, to bat. And uh, I'm not going to have to pause my music. I always forget to do that, to pause my music before <laughs> I put up my uh, kiosk panel. But here we go. This is uh, Larkin's single to win the World Series for the Twins in 1991. Keep in mind, this is a World Series Game 7. Minnesota bench hoping to get this winning run across here in the 10th. It's carried by Dan Gladden at third. Base it loaded, one out. Infielders are sort of halfway at second and short. Pena in a jam. The Twins are going to win the World Series. The Twins have won it. It's a base hit. It's a one nothing. I keep in mind this was a dome. This was before um, Target Field was built in Minneapolis. Uh, but keep in mind that this happened in a dome. So imagine how loud this place was when that happened. I can only imagine. Uh, 
playing it on the radio can only do it justice, but um, Larkin singled to win it for the Twins in 1991, Game 7 of the World Series. That's, I mean, that's just insane, to say the least. Uh, the next one is another walk-off, um, but this time it is against a team that hasn't been successful of late, and this is also a Game 7 walk-off. Uh, the reason why I say this is better than the, the last one is because uh, it's a team that um, really has a rare chance of winning of late. So I think they deserve to be up a little bit more on this list. So uh, this is um, Edgar Renteria hitting a walk-off single in the middle, up the middle in Game 7 to win the Marlins' first ever World Series championship. Take a listen. The 0-1 pitch. A liner off Nagy's glove into center field. The Florida Marlins have won the World Series. I think another reason as to why uh, I like this a lot was because as you can hear in the background, that was Jim Leland yelling. Leland is the uh, coach of the United States national baseball team, at least for the 2017 WBC World Baseball Classic team that won, won it all in 2017. But also, that was my birth year, 1997. Uh, World Series 1997, you cannot ask for anything more than uh, that to happen. I was about like six months old. When it happened, well, wait, my birthday's in June, so how many months is that? Like four or five months? Whatever. Anyways, that was the uh, first ever World Series win for the um, Florida Marlins. And they also won it in 2003, of course, um, after the whole Steve Bartman incident uh, for the Chicago Cubs. But um, this was, I mean, a walk-off win to get your first World Series victory that you cannot ask for anything better than that, and you uh, might see it. You, if the Nationals can win it in Game Four or Game Five, you might see it. Um, but this is Game Seven. You cannot ask for a better situation than a Game Seven walk-off base hit. And that was on behalf of Edgar Renteria of the Florida Marlins back then. Now it is called the Miami Marlins. Alrighty, this one is an old one at number seven, a very old one. Um, this was back in 1968 a year before the moon landing. Um, And it's worth sharing because uh, it's never, ever happened in World Series history ever since then. Um, What happened was Bob Gibson um, struck out 17 batters uh, against the Tigers, if I'm correct. Um, This was... I got to check. Yeah, so it was was St. Louis Cardinals' Bob Gibson against the Tigers in Game 1 of the World Series. What a way to set the tone in the World Series, but yet to to strike out 17. Struck out 17 batters in the World Series. Take a listen. Bob Gibson, who set a new National League record for earn run average this year, 1.12. 1.12 ERA. That was his first strikeout. I'm going to fast forward to other strikeouts. Listen to the announcer, though. The way that he calls the strikeouts is funny. Struck him out! Got him! Just, li- just listen. Was 
again a standing ovation. A new World Series record. Yeah, so it was 15 before, and now it's 16, beating the World, World Series record. That's 17. So the reason why this is not my list number seven is because this has never happened since. No other pitcher has played or, I mean, struck out more than 15 batters, to even say the least, in a, in a World Series matchup. For that to happen in a World Series game against a team that made it to the World Series for reasons, probably because of their offense, because they have a good offensive production. And the, the Tigers, the Detroit Tigers in 1968, was a very, very dominant team. And for them to be struck out 17 times is extremely impressive. Um, keep in mind, this is October 2nd, 1968. The World Series was played in back then in those times very early. Um, very, very early uh, in October. So keep that in mind because I got another little nitpit. Um, something on my list very soon will uh, represent that. And that is this. So keeping in mind that... It, Nobody that that in 1968 the World Series was being played on October 2nd. Well, and I mean, hopefully, I'm gonna open up this YouTube link and hopefully there's no ad. Perfect, perfect. Um, so in 2001, World Series game four, game four. Um, obviously, 2001 was a very very um traumatic year for our great nation. Um and Earlier in that, I mean, a couple months prior, at least a month prior to this moment, um, tragedy struck, of course, the United States in 9-11, and um, it pushed the entire season back a week. Baseball didn't play for a week after that. Uh, and then once baseball resumed, um, then it was Yankees and Mets, or I'm sorry, the Mets were playing, and then... Um, yeah, I think that it was like a huge thing that happened um, after that. But that's not the point. The point of it is is that the Yankees um, in 2001 um, had this to say for themselves in uh, playing the first ever moments in November baseball. The first time ever that baseball was being played in November. And who else but Derek Jeter to become the hero in Game 4 Uh this is beyond worth listening. Take take a listen. And the 3-2 pitch. Swung on a drill to right field. Going back Sanders. On the track. At the wall. See ya. See ya. See ya. A home run by Derek Jeter. He pumps his fist in the air as he rounded first. He'll hit on third base. He high fives Willie Randolph. And the entire Yankee team mobs him at home plate as he leaps onto the dish with a 4-3 Yankee win. Oh, oh, what a ball game. A game-winning walk-off home run by Derek Jeter. He is Mr. November. Oh, what a big base hit by the Yankees. And still is considered Mr. November and um, eventual Hall of Famer. Derek Jeter, what a moment that was um, against the Arizona Diamondbacks in 2001. Um, just what a moment. You know, the first ever game to be played in November, first ever moment in November, a walk-off home run from Derek Jeter. 
I would arguably say top three Yankees of all time, top five at least. I mean, there's so many Yankees to choose from, being that they are the most illustrious franchise in MLB history. No doubt about that, even though they just lost. <laughs> um, but I, I, I'm, I was very, it was very hard to make this list. This, 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 this top ten, any top ten list is very hard to make. Because uh, these kinds of moments that I'm playing, like it's hard to put it in front of another, and then that other thing is so hard to put in front of another. Like this is not even a top ten list for me. Like this list is literally kind of like a list in no particular order, almost so to speak. So it's very hard to say from ten to one. But um, I will reach my top five when I come back. Top five World Series moments as I continue my top ten from twelve fifteen on. Be back in just a bit. It's Noah Fastenstein. Stay tuned. When I was little, I didn't talk for a long time. I was sensitive to lights and sounds, so I built secret hiding places where they couldn't get in. Sometimes I do the same things over and over, until one day I found out I had autism. My family got me help. Slowly, I learned how to live with it better. Early intervention can make a lifetime of difference. Learn the signs at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. I don't recycle. I mean, we can just find another planet for your kids to live on, you know? Noted non-recycler Tommy Crenshaw talks about the future. Oh, I can totally see finding another planet that can support life when ours fills up with trash. Log on to yougottobekidding.org and learn about all the ways you can recycle. Unless you're into lame excuses like Tommy's. Hey, recycling's just not my thing. Starting over on a new planet? Now that's exciting. Don't be that guy. Unless you want people looking at you funny. Log on to yougottobekidding.org. Hey, it's Dibs, your favorite demon in a blue suit. You're listening to Radio DePaul Sports, the student voice of your DePaul Blue Demon. Campbell to Stonewall. Stonewall driving to the rim, goes up, gets it to fall, and one. Oh, Max Drews brings down the house. Radio DePaul Sports, your home for Blue Demon basketball. You are listening to Monday Madness Sports Talk with your host, Noah Festenstein. Right here on Radio DePaul Sports, the student voice of your DePaul Blue Demons. All right, welcome back. This is Monday Man of Sports Talk. As you have just heard from myself, Noah Festenstein, taking you on until 12.30. Got 15 minutes left to talk about my top five World Series moments of all time. This is my number five as the Boston Red Sox following up their 3-0 comeback in 2004 against the New York Yankees. They sweep the St. Louis Cardinals to go on an eight-game winning streak in the postseason to win the World Series, and this is the last play to end it. Okay, so before you kind of say anything else, this is one out of the only two I put on this list of final plays in the World Series, at least final defensive outs, if you may say, in the World Series. Um, the, the reason why I put this on the list is because it broke a curse. It broke uh, an 84-year-old, I was like 87-something, I don't know, stop it, 80-plus. That's still a lot of years. 
um, that they just didn't win a World Series. Uh, the Boston Red Sox um, had to come back 3-0 to the New York Yankees, come back, win four straight, and then they win four straight against the St. Louis Cardinals to win the entire thing. That's unheard of. You don't do that. It's just who who wins eight in a row to win a World Series, let alone be down 3-0. Um, I think that's just one of the greatest moments in in World Series history, considering the amount of hard work this Red Sox team had to put themselves through um, to reach that point, um, which is rather remarkable, um, at least in my eyes. And the Boston Red Sox are my second favorite team, so I had to put them on somehow, some way, and I think that was the perfect way to do it. And, of course, they won in 2007, 2013, and then last year in 2018. And you can say that this year... Um, was the most, in my eyes, the most embarrassing title defense that I've ever seen in my life. And uh, that was the Boston Red Sox this year. So if you're a Boston Red Sox fan and you're uh, uh, taunting the the link, uh, taunting the, the Yankees for losing, keep in mind that this year you had the worst title defense in all history. I'm just saying. And I, I'm a, I, I, I will say, I'm not a bandwagon. I love the Boston Red Sox because of their history, just like how I love my own Chicago Cubs. Um... But come on, the title defense that was this year for the Boston Red Sox was embarrassing, very embarrassing. And uh, it's just you cannot taunt the, well, the Yankees for losing the ALCS because you didn't make it. Um, all right, this is my number four. Um, this, is, this is on my list for multiple reasons, multiple reasons. Um, and uh, I'll tell you the reasons why after this. Um, but this was by far the best pitching performance I think in ever in ever in World Series history was uh Yankees pitcher Don Larson in 1956 game 5 of the World Series throws a perfect game and who better to call it than Vince Goley Sixty-four thousand five hundred seventeen. That's like literally more than most ballparks. I think all bar ballparks in the United States today, um, United States and one in Canada, of course. Um, but that's insane. A perfect game in a World Series game five. That's unheard of. And of course, the reason, a big reason to why it's on my list because of that unheard of nature. And of course, my favorite broadcaster in baseball history, Vin Scully. Um, who just retired recently, a couple years back, um, longtime broadcaster for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, Vince Scully is an absolute legend, and this is one of his legendary moments and calls in 1956, to say the least. That's how, that's how much he's been in the sport, is Vince Scully and this call and this Don Larson perfect game that no one ever thought that could happen in a World Series game is throw a perfect game. And I think he mentioned that it was the second perfect game ever thrown up to that point. I don't believe it. I don't think that's the case. But if that's the case, for it to happen in a World Series, it's 
quite remarkable. Um, and obviously there's a reason why Don Larson was an MVP back then. Um, that was my number four on the list. I'm going to move it on to number three. My number three has two videos to it. Um, because one thing led to another. And White Sox fans, yes, I did it. I, I put you guys on the list. This is Paul Grinerko blasting a, bl- a grand slam to tie it up. Take a listen. Bases loaded, two out. With Canerco on. And he rips one in the left. Canerco, grand slam. I'm sorry, it wasn't to tie. It was to give him a 6-4 lead, but that's still. That was Paul Canerco. And then um, the reason why I'm making this a two-video part because it happened in the same game. But I think the best moment in White Sox history was this. Um, that's a different video, and I will have to fix that. Did I screw it up? Yes, I did. I put on the wrong, put on the wrong. I'll have to look it up. I I I, I copy and paste my YouTube links. Um, but here it is. Here it is. I found it. Boom. So the Astros ended up tying it, and then the White Sox walk it off. Scott Pesednik, who was a hitter who doesn't hit home runs, he doesn't. He was not a home run hitter, and out of all case scenarios, hits a walk off home run in the World Series. You don't. You just can't write that. You just can't. Um, so yes, naturally. I have to put a White Sox thing on this list. All right, number two. This is 1993 World Series Game 6. This is this could easily have been my number one, but this was by far, I think, the best moment um, in terms of walk-offs in World Series history. The walk-off home run that won the World Series in Game 6. Cue Joe Carter. Joe has had his moments. Two balls and two strikes on him. Here's the pitch on the way. A swing and a belt. Left field. Way back. Blue Jays win it. The Blue Jays are World Series champions. As Joe Carter hits a three-run home run in the ninth inning. And the Blue Jays have repeated as World Series champions. Touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Not only was that a great baseball moment, but obviously as a whole for broadcaster, you kind of like look at that uh, that call and be like, that was one of the best calls in baseball history. Was that home run from Joe Carter? Off the bat, you knew it was gone. It was going to the left field corner, and it just dropped on in and behind the wall. For the Blue Jays to win in 1993, I think that was back-to-back World Series victories for them. Alrighty. 1223 and we're on perfect time because I'm ready to talk about my number one and obviously um you guys know well I, I I would assume you guys would assume what my number one would be uh I'm not gonna do any intense lead up to it because it's quite obvious it's also a two-parter video because one thing definitely did lead into another um actually I'll make it into a three video one because it's just that special um let's start it off with this one um 
So we all know that the Cubs won the World Series in 2016, the most special moment in my baseball life, um, personally. And uh, I cried like a lot of other Cubs fans did. And I don't think I had much of a reason to cry compared to other Cubs fans who have aged and have gone through so much heartbreak uh, through the years and they just couldn't see a World Series championship. Um, but this is the moment that all of that was relinquished. Um, I'm going to start off with three videos and then it's going to end the show. This is R Ross, David Ross, potential contender for uh, the now looking Chicago Cubs looking for a new manager. This is David Ross, possible potential next Cubs manager, hitting a home run off of Andrew Miller in game seven of the World Series. So that was David Ross, his last home run of his career in a World Series Game 7. Um, deserves to be shown in this um, in this video. Um, and now I'm about to present oh, playback error. Uh-oh. Got to reload. There we go. Um, okay. So I'm about to present, I, I, in my eyes, the most important hit in Chicago Cubs history was Ben Zobra's hit in the top of the 10th inning on a 1-2 count against uh, Shaw. Here it is. His most important hit in Cubs history. Oh, whoops. Had to, I can always do that. <laughs> Here it is. Most important hit in Cubs history. Let's see it. So that was Ben Zobrist's base hit for the Cubs to take the lead. Of course, they won 8-7, to seven, and then uh, Miguel Montero hit a base hit later on in the game. Um, but that is not what I wanted to show you, really. This is the moment where it all came true, and uh, who better to have this be announced than the great Cubs announcer, Pat Hughes. The Cubs winning the World Series in 20. 19 I'm sorry 2016 game 7 the final out no double zone extremely deep in left Fowler deep in center Hayward not quite as deep in right a little bouncer slowly toward Bryant he will glove it and throw to Rizzo it's in time and the Chicago Cubs win the World Series the Cubs come pouring out of the dugout jumping up and down like a bunch of delirious 10-year-olds, the Cubs have done it. The longest drought in the history of American sports is over, and the celebration begins. Oh, boy, oh, boy, was that a celebration? I, I remember that night. I, I remember that night so vividly and how emotional it was uh, to be a Cubs fan that night. And so much um, at stake in that game. Oh, I think over 170 combined years between the Cubs and Indians of a World Series championship drought uh, was that. Um, 
It was quite insane. To be quite blunt with you. Um, was the Cubs winning? That's my number one on the list. So that's the top 10 uh, World Series moments of all time. I'm very happy to have presented it to you. I got more top 10 lists coming, but in lieu of this World Series starting tomorrow night at 7.08 between the Houston Astros and Washington Nationals, that is my uh, top 10 top World Series moments of all time. I got a bonus one for you now as I uh, exit the studio. Um, it's kind of fitting considering it is blanking out of uh, of the broadcast. This is ABC's broadcast of the 1989 World Series Game 3 between the Oakland Athletics. I forgot who else it was. Um, I'm trying to th- Yeah, San Francisco Giants. Um, so here's what happened. An earthquake hit. And the entire broadcast went blank and kind of here in the background. I'll play this um, as my last bit of audio um, of the show. So let's uh, let's take a listen. Jose Canseco to score. This is one that is when it goes out. to get Dave Parker at second base. So the Oakland A's take. take I'll tell you what, we're having a real. And I'm out broadcast has been cut this has been monday man of sports talk with you guys every single monday from tw- uh, 11 to 12 30 right here on radio DePaulSports.com and the radio DePaul app i'll see you guys next week this is uh the final uh sounds as the broadcast well, went back into fruition They didn't even know if they were on air or not. That's hilarious. Everyone was okay. And I know I will be back next Monday from 11 to 1230 right here on RadioDePaulSports.com and the Radio DePaul app. Thank you to all audio I played on today's broadcast. All audio was presented by MLB. Um, I do not own any of the audio that I played. So thank you to all who have provided that for me today. But for now, I am out. See you on Thursday on the Radio DePaul stream with Noah at night. And, of course, next Monday for the 150th episode of Monday Madness Sports Talk. I cannot wait. I will see you guys later. This has been Money Man Sports Talk. Signing out for 149. Broadcasting live from our new state-of-the-art studio in downtown Chicago, it's Radio DePaul Sports, the student voice of your DePaul Blue Demons.